The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. I once heard a story of three men who were stranded on a deserted island for years. And uh, one day, these three men were walking along the beach and they discovered a magic lamp. That's not a true story. (laughs) But bear with me. They immediately grabbed the lamp and they began rubbing it furiously. And sure enough, out pops a genie. And the genie says, Since I can only give you three wishes, you may each have one. Just state your greatest desire with I wish, and it will be granted. And so the three men, they jump for joy, and they're embracing one another. They're unable to believe their good fortune. And the first man says, I've been stuck here for years. I miss my beautiful wife. I wish to see her again. And poof, the man gets his wish, and instantly he's returned to his wife. Then the second man says, it's been so long And I've forgotten what my children look like. I miss my family. I wish I could go home. And poof, the second man gets his wish and he's returned to his family. And the third man begins to cry uncontrollably. And the genie asks, what's the matter? With tears in his eyes, he looks up and he says, I wish my friends were still here. I've always found genie jokes to be kind of amusing because it has a way, I think, of exposing how small and silly and even sometimes conflicting our desires can be when we line them up with the desires of others. And I think in some ways, this can be a picture of prayer. Um, When you're watching a, a really intense sporting event, do you ever pray that your team will win? I've prayed those prayers before. You know, God, please let the Bears beat the Packers. Right? And after praying that prayer, do you ever wonder, like, wait, you know, there are probably Christians in Wisconsin who are praying for the Packers to win. So which prayer does God answer? Because he can't answer both prayers, right? Does this mean that the team that receives the most prayers wins? Or the team who has the most righteous fans praying on their behalf, does that team win? Does God even care who wins? But what if our deepest desires are in conflict with the one who can answer them? What if they differ from the wishes of other people's prayers? Or even for the ones whom we are praying? And you know, I'll be honest, this this is one of the challenges I face when I pray for other people. Uh, What do I pray for? How do I intercede for them? Do I lift up their requests every time? Do I sometimes hope for something different? Lift up something different. Have you ever found it difficult to pray for another person? We've been asking for a lot of prayer these days in our church. There's a lot of people that need prayer, asking for prayer. Um, But what do you pray? How do you pray? Why do we even pray? You know, when I met with Charlie in the hospital a couple weeks ago, um, um, there was another brother from the church that was there with him, and... um, you know, at that point in time, he, his, his condition really started to deteriorate very rapidly. You know, he um, couldn't walk. Um, and as we're talking to him, he was just very labored in his breathing. I mean, he, it took time just to even get words out. 
And at the time, me and this brother, we were trying to encourage him just to keep hope that the Lord, we believe, would fully heal him in this sickness and just um, to stay positive, to have faith. And for, for those of you who know Charlie, he, he's an incredibly intelligent, very deeply thoughtful, philosophical man. Um, if you're in this community group, I'm sure you know this well. But he, he rarely takes anything at face value. And, you know, to be honest, as we were talking to him, he was very resistant to us um, really praying about uh, this singular outcome, that he would be fully healed. And in some ways, you know, he was even indignant about it. He felt, you know, that it was wrong just to, just to pray that one prayer and to ask God just to heal in just this one way. And I think this kind of uh, thought and this thinking, uh, we sent out uh, uh, his first update um, a couple weeks ago, and he, he kind of touches on that when, when he writes to you know, all those who are praying for him, and he says this. He gave me permission to share this, by the way. He says, during my second night in the hospital, I had a dream that I got better and will go back to work the following day. That morning, my fingers went completely numb and I could barely move them. Then I understood that my will is not to be. And the third day, my condition worsened, paralysis of legs and arms, loss of all taste sensation. And then within three days, I went from a confident leader at work to someone who can't use the bathroom without humbly asking for help. It felt like I'd, I'd aged 50 years in a single night. And then he talks about how statistically it, it didn't look good. Recovery was going to take many, many months, if even there would be a full recovery. And he said this, The Lord in his great mercy has given me a peace to not ask questions, but only surrender and follow. For who am I, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is created say to the Creator, Why did you make me like this? Is it not written that I am to give thanks in all circumstances? Is it not commanded to consider it pure joy whenever I face trials and difficulties? Is the glory of God not revealed through suffering as well as abundance? And, you know, I have to say, I was really challenged by our brother Charlie's perspective in that hospital room. Charlie was ready to accept whatever outcome God had for him. He was ready to glorify God because he strongly believed that God would reserve the right to glorify himself with any number of outcomes, even in his death, if that's what God required. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with praying for physical healing. Uh, it's actually very biblical. James 5 commands us to do so. God invites us to pray for all things. If it is a concern to us, rest assured it is a concern to God. Whether we are sick or we're suffering, whether we're anxious or worried, we can present any request to God. We're called to cast all our cares upon him who cares deeply about the things that we care about. But what should be our biggest concern when we intercede for others? What should be our greatest hope in prayer for our fellow brothers and our sisters in Christ. You know, there's so many things to pray for. Sometimes, you know, as one of your pastors, I, I feel overwhelmed praying for you. I feel that burden. I feel that weight. But if we were forced to distill our prayers to just its simplest form, 
what would remain? I think the content <clears throat> and the character of our prayers reveal what's actually, what it is that we actually hope for most. Our prayers unmask our deepest longings. And this morning, <clears throat> I want to take a look at some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Although Jesus already gave us a great model for prayer when he in instructs his disciples how to pray with what we know as the Lord's Prayer, I think it's helpful to examine Paul's prayers as well because here we discover, I think, a model for intercessory prayer, praying for others, especially others in the church, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ which Paul did so fervently, so faithfully in his life. So our primary text this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. I'm going to read this, and, and I want you to really try and feel the heart of Paul in this prayer. You know, among all the prayer requests he can make, what, what is it that Paul prays for for them? And I want you to consider, how does his prayer possibly differ in how we typically pray, especially for other people in the church. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it reads this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How's that for a run-on sentence? You know, uh, actually in the original Greek, verses 9 all the way to verse 20, not just 9 to 12 as in English, all the way to verse 20 is a single sentence. There, there's so much in this one sentence, and it, it might seem overwhelming to you, but it, I think it's important to break it down a bit, because if you do, you'll begin to see what Paul is asking for is actually something very simple. And it's inspiring, I think, and instructive for the church. And I hope we can learn something from it. You know, first off, Paul opens by saying, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What is it that Paul heard exactly? Well, if you read prior to verse 9, we learn that Paul is speaking of the day we heard that his, this, this body of believers in the city of Colossae had come to faith when he had heard that they had come to faith. Now, Colossae was a city in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, but it, was, it wasn't actually planted by uh, Paul. But rather, it was a church that, in all likelihood, grew out of Paul's ministry in the church of Ephesus, which was about 100 miles uh, east of Colossae. And those who had come to faith in Colossae were now sharing their faith, and it was spreading to cities far and wide. And what's interesting about this letter is that Paul has never actually met these people in this church that he's addressing. He learns of their faith from his good friend, Epaphras, who was apparently one of the founders of this church in Colossae. And so I think this makes his prayer for them all the more remarkable. You know, he's actually never met them 
And yet, we learn that he has never ceased praying for them. And this is notable because Paul understands that prayer does not stop at the point of conversion, right? Once someone becomes a Christian, once they come to faith. But so much needs to happen, even after that point, after we come to faith, that we need prayer for. And this is why he cannot stop praying. It's a prayer that's born out of his great love for these people. It's a prayer that's empowered by his great faith in God. And so what is it that Paul prays? How should we also intercede for others? Let's take a look. The first thing that he prays is that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so the first step, Paul begins by praying that they would simply know the will of God, filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that mean? It means that God wants you to know his desires, his heart, his his desire for you, his desire for this world, his desire for your life and for your flourishing as his beloved child. And so Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And he adds this, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know, and I've heard it said that knowledge, knowledge is knowing what to do, but wisdom is different. Wisdom is knowing when to do it. And so Paul prays for these believers that they would not just know what to do, but that they would be granted the wisdom and the understanding of, of, to know when to do it. Which leads to Paul's next request. And it's this, that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You see, Paul knows that it's not just about knowing God's will. It's about obeying God's will for you and for your life. He's praying that they would walk on that path, that they would walk in that manner. What good is it to know the will of God if you refuse to obey the will of God? You know, I've grown up in the church long enough to meet all kinds of Christians. And I know people who've been in the church for decades, and they're blessed with this encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible. You know, we have, who have a passion for theology, a passion to study sound doctrine, but who also have so many areas in their lives where they simply have chosen not to walk in full obedience. And I've met Christians who who know so little of the Bible because they are new in the faith. But they've surrendered every part of their lives to the Lord. And when I compare the two, I realize that there's a depth of knowledge in that new believer, a wisdom that the old theologically sound believer can only dream of. Because true knowledge of God and of his ways comes through submission. It comes through surrender It comes in obedience. You know, in the Asian culture, we tend to defer to age as the ultimate measure for wisdom, right? And there's some credence to this. You do learn things as you get older. But the Bible clearly teaches that wisdom and age do not necessarily go hand in hand. In Psalm 119, 100, it says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. 
See, contrary to what the world teaches us, spiritual knowledge does not come with age or even with disciplined study. It comes with a disciple's obedience. And Oswald Chamber writes, The golden rule to follow to obtain spiritual understanding is not one of intellectual pursuit, but one of obedience. If a person wants scientific knowledge, then intellectual curiosity must be his guide. But if he desires knowledge and insight into the teachings of Jesus Christ, he can only obtain it through obedience. Do you ever wonder why your spiritual growth may seem stunted? Why others seem to grow at a faster pace than you? Maybe the answer lies not in seeking more knowledge, but in simply obeying the Lord and what you already know, submitting to what he has already asked you to do. Forgive that family member. Share your faith with that coworker. Give generously to that person or to that cause. Step out and serve in that role. Hold your tongue. Hold your temper. This is how we grow in our faith. This is how we truly grow in knowledge. And this is what the Lord desires of us. Not just to know the truth, but to walk in the truth. And out of that walking, as a result of that obedience, Paul prays that they would bear fruit in every good work and increase in what? In the knowledge of God. First, you have to know his will. But when you know God's will and you obey God's will, this is when you begin to bear the wonderful fruit of really knowing God himself. This is how we increase in the knowledge of God. This is when you begin to see God for who he really is. But all of this, to know God's will, to obey God's will, to know God in obeying God's will, all of this really leads to what I believe are the two end goals of so many of Paul's prayers. Not just here in Colossians, but in nearly every other epistle that he writes. His hope and his desire for his fellow believers is that through all of this, through this entire process, that they might grow in the likeness of Christ and they might be more kingdom-minded. So Christ-likeness and kingdom-mindedness, that is his desire for these believers. And what do I mean by that? Well, by Christ-likeness, I mean that in the end, Paul prayed that they would become more like Jesus. That is the ultimate goal in this life, growing the fruit of the Spirit. And I think this is why Paul says in verse 11 that out of that growing knowledge of God, that they would be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. Isn't that a picture of the fruit of the Spirit? That love, that joy, that peace, that patience. His desire was that they themselves would shine the character of Christ as they become more like him and and that he prayed towards that end. And by kingdom-mindedness, what I mean is that in the end, Paul prays that they would seek God's will on earth by setting their eyes towards heaven. And this is why in verse 12, he prays that they would give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in what? In the inheritance of the saints in light. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to what? To the kingdom of his beloved son. 
He wants them to set their eyes towards heaven. To be kingdom-minded. And Paul desired that God's people would set themselves apart from the world by not having an earthly perspective, but an eternal one. And he prayed towards that end. Because in the end, Paul wanted nothing more than for the people of God to become more like Christ and to seek his kingdom. And this was his most consistent prayer. You see it here in Colossians. You see it in the opening chapter of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, he writes, And I pray that this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight, so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that the believers in Philippi might grow in the knowledge and insight of God so that they might be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of his righteousness which comes from Christ. He wants them to be more like Christ. And that's his prayer. And then in the opening chapter of Ephesians, chapter 1, 17 through 19, he writes, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may, may give what? May give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Why? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the incomparable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Paul prays that the believers in Ephesus might grow in the knowledge of God and see the great inheritance that they have in him. There's the kingdom-mindedness, the glorious inheritance of the saints. See, again, Paul wanted nothing more than for the people of God to become more like Christ to seek his kingdom. Can you recall the last three prayer requests that you've prayed for yourself or for someone else? I want you to just take a few seconds and just really think about it. What were the last three things that I really prayed for? Got on my knees and just earnestly uh, called out to God. Did you seek an outcome? Lord, just heal that person. Lord, give me that promotion. Lord, help me to sell this. Help me to buy that. Or did you find that you were seeking Christ likeness, Christ's kingdom? And I think what we pray for actually reveals a lot about ourselves. It unveils our deepest desires, our greatest longings. It shows us what it is that we truly seek. You know, I I got really convicted as I was preparing this message, as I said. um, uh, Actually, I don't know if I said this with you, but earlier when we were praying before the service, I I had a completely different message prepared. Um, I had the bulletin ready to go on Thursday night, and the Lord just began pressing on my heart um, the message I'm giving you today. And um, I started working on it Friday morning, and I was like, oh, Lord, really, you want me to preach something else? Like, I'm ready to go. 
my weekend is shot now. But, you know, I got really convicted because, um, you know, when I, we ent- my family and I, we entered into this ministry role out of a corporate job two years ago. We've been in this process of downsizing our home, downsizing um, everything that we own, just adjusting to a new standard of living as a pastor. And uh, please don't get me wrong, I'm not asking for money. <laughs> Um, the church pays us very well. We're certainly plenty to live on, but um, in looking at what I was giving up, I, you know, I, I have to confess, there was a part of me that felt like that God owed me something, you know. Okay, God, I'll become a pastor, but look what I'm giving up over here. And so uh, recently, uh, a couple months ago, we moved to a new townhome closer to the church here, and we're renting and uh, it was really just an answer to prayer. We're so thankful to be there. But uh, we put our house in the market a couple months ago. And, and we haven't received a single offer. And I, I'll be honest, it's made me a little bit nervous. You know, at times, as time continues to pass, I, I realize that the, the only thing that I've been asking people for as a prayer request was, man, can you just pray that our house sells really quickly? <laughs> um, it's very painful for me to pay rent and a mortgage at the same time. And, you know, more recently, the Lord just began to press on my own heart, like, why, why are you only asking people to pray for that? Why is that the only outcome in which I'm permitted to show my faithfulness to you? And what if my will is not to preserve your bank account, but to grow your faith in me and make you more like my son? And I, I got so convicted you know, I, for much of my life, I've always kind of had this number in my mind, you know, in terms of, of my savings. Like, if I could just get to this number, I think I would be pretty good. I'll feel secure. And looking back, I realized every time I got close to that number, something would happen that would keep me from meeting that goal. Um, it, it's not like a ridiculous amount of money, but it was something that I felt if I could get there, then I could rest easy. I could sleep at night. And I remember I got close to that number about 10 years ago, and then, you know, that Great Recession hit, like in 2008. And, you know, I, I had a few rental properties, and the whole real estate market just completely tanked. And, you know, all the equity that I had in these homes was just completely gone. And so I had to start over in a way. And I remember five years ago, I was really close to that number again. And then my wife was struck with cancer. And I took nine months off, unpaid leave from my work. And saw much of my savings just dwindle down. And now as I've, as I've entered into ministry, I've come to realize I'm never going to hit that number. <laughs> I've accepted that. But now I sense the Lord asking me, would you be okay? Not only if you never hit that number, but if I took away all of it, so you have nothing left to lean on but me. And so this past week, you know, I've come to terms with whatever outcome God has for me and for this house. <laughs> because I already know that God is not as interested in what I sell my house for or how quickly I sell it as, as he is far more interested in who I am in him. And, uh, you know, when I, when I left Charlie in the hospital two weeks ago, as I said earlier, you know, he, he wasn't in really good shape. And I think it was like day four or five. And, you know, what he shared, what I shared earlier 
day three, he kind of came to the realization that God was, didn't look like God was going to heal him. Things were just going from bad to worse. And um, as I said, Charlie was very insistent. He didn't want us to pray for a single outcome, like just complete healing. He didn't want to define an answer to prayer or even characterize God's faithfulness or goodness in his life by nothing more than a full recovery. And yet, even when I was sitting there with him, I, internally I could see that, that this very serious condition that he had, it was still a real struggle for him. You know, what, what would happen to his dental practice if he were to never again regain feeling in his hands? How could he work and provide for his family if he could not walk? What would become of his wife and his two beautiful girls if God were to call him home? And all, and all these things were swirling in his mind, and yet I saw a man who, despite all of these unknowns, wanted nothing more than to submit to the will of God, whatever it may be, whatever he may ask, and to walk in a manner that was worthy and pleasing to the Lord, even if in the end it might require his life. I was so challenged. I was so encouraged by that. Well, at this point, it looks like God's mercy has manifested itself with a complete healing in Charlie. You know, I, a few days after I met him, I texted him to ask him if I could visit him again. And he asked me if I could hold off until the following week. He was going to go through a battery of tests and all these scans, and he was going to have to go through. And so I waited almost a week, and I texted him again. And I got the same update that, that I passed on to the church on Tuesday which is, hey, I'm in Hawaii now. <laughs> I was like, what, what just happened? <laughs> you know, I thought you were in your deathbed, and now you're snorkeling. I don't get it. And you know, I, I know that we circulated this update via our ICC News Blast. And by the way, if you're not a part of that, please, uh, please join it. I mean, it's, it's great. It's just to get updates of the church. We're constantly asking for prayer midweek. And if, you don't, if you're not part of that list, um, just see Alex, our, our Alex Kim, our admin, and she'll be happy to get you on there. But I know many of you already read uh, his update, but I wanted to read it here this morning, again with Charlie's permission, because I want, I want you to see how much of what we've just unpacked today through these verses, this, this, this heart of prayer in Paul, is found in, in our brother's two-week journey of faith and prayer. It, it's a bit long, but I want you to just notice how even with his healing, Charlie's desire is to continue to submit himself to God's will, whatever it may be. And how God has revealed himself to Charlie in ways like never before. And how Charlie finds himself being changed with an earnest desire to seek the kingdom of God. And to have an eternal perspective in this short and unpredictable life that we live. He wrote this um, on Tuesday. Dear friends, I'm touched by your prayers. Jesus healed me. Today, I'm a walking miracle. Two weeks ago, I was in the hospital going through many tests. The doctors prepared me for worsening paralysis and months of rehab. I accepted that outcome and made plans to reorganize the practical functions of my life. There were several days when my inability to walk and my obvious lack of coordination caused me to wonder if I will ever be normal again. But the Lord comforted me. One day last week, my eight-year-old daughter told me that she dreamt that we were eating lunch and she saw Jesus come by knocking on the door through the backyard she said she was the first to see him and we all got to personally meet Jesus 
and Jesus told her, everything's going to be okay. Yes, I remember it is written that I must change to become like little children to enter the kingdom of God. On another day when my fingers were still numb and I wavered a bit and worried about the future of my earthly existence, I was leaving my house for hospital appointments. As I opened my front door and stepped out with my walker, I heard rolling thunder. The sounds grew louder and louder. The earth shook and there were thick clouds covering the sky And the awesome thundering sounds went on for five to ten minutes. In fact, it did not stop until I left. I've never seen anything like it. Tears of amazement came to me as the night before I was sounding loud shofar blasts. Charlie owns a ram's horn, and you may have seen it. He's blown it here in one of our services. And he says, I felt I was at the foot of Mount Sinai and, and heard the voice of Yahweh answering me. And after that, my Guillain-Barre syndrome improved rapidly each, each day. This surprised all the doctors. They have not seen a two-week recovery like mine. I myself did not expect to get well so quickly. There's not a medical explanation for what happened. God has given my life back to me. I don't know why. But for sure, it is an answer to prayer. Thanks to all of you who prayed for my healing, I am healed by the love of God. In fact, I'm writing this on Laneake Beach in Hawaii. (laughs) I really wanted to visit him there and minister to him. (laughs) On Laneake Beach, Hawaii, on a previously planned vacation with grandparents from both sides of my family. It was canceled when I got ill and rebooked when I got healed. I'm about to go into the water for some snorkeling with green sea turtles. Yes, I am a walking miracle. So much so that doctors have no explanation. They did many scans and tests on me, which yielded no answers, only saying that I was lucky the disease did not fully express all of its symptoms. As for me, I'm convinced that I am loved by God's mercy. In two weeks, I went from hospitalization with heart and breathing monitors to rapid paralysis of legs and arms to snorkeling in paradise today. Yahweh prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My head is anointed with oil. My my cup overflows. Yet the Lord gives, and he can take away. If my illness deteriorated today instead of my snorkeling in Hawaii, will my heart trust God and give thanks just the same? It's God's mercy that I'm not tested to know that. All I know is that the Lord our God is merciful. I have already made plans for my extended absence from work. I was surprised to find out that work went on functioning just fine without me. I will keep the arrangement and consider my extended absence from work a Sabbath to the Lord. In the depth of my illness, my mind thought about the details of my health insurance policy, who has power of attorney, the financial consequences. I thought about the contractual details of my long-term disability policy, the valuation of my business and its sale. I thought about the correct beneficiary assignments of my retirement plans and my investments. I considered the sufficiency of the value of my life insurance policy. Then I realized with what shrewdness I have planned for the problems of this world. While that may be good planning, Should and I, with far more zeal, 
pursue rewards in the kingdom of God? How well am I stewarding Yeshua's sovereign grace? Shouldn't my passions for the pleasures of this world be dwarfed by the desire to store up treasures in the kingdom of God? If I care about the happenings of the present age, how much more should my heart wish for the resurrection of the dead? Shouldn't my love of this world be eclipsed by the longing to enter the kingdom of God and claim the inheritance? If I enjoy the entertainments of this world, how much more time and effort should I spend eagerly awaiting the dead to rise for the judging of the living and the dead, for the new heaven and earth, thy kingdom come? I don't want to waste my life. I see how in a night it can be required of me. I know I am grafted into the rich nourishing root, but am I the good soil? Am I bearing good fruit? I do fear being pruned away like a fruitless branch, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But as of today, the evidence is that I am healed. But I have learned that one day we think we are well, and the next day we find out that we are not. As I said, the doctors are surprised and don't know fully what happened to me. So how's my health? I feel fine now. But the truth is, I don't know how I am. Only God knows. God knows. He cares and he is sovereign, and I want that to be enough for me. That is my prayer for myself. I'm thankful for the sabbatical afforded of my illness. I am still marveling at the Lord's sovereign design and all that happened, even as I don't fully understand it. All I know is I don't want to waste my life and I desire to find rest for my soul. I can testify that God cares, and he listens to prayers, and he is rich in mercy. Again, thank you for praying for me, Charlie. You know, one of the most repeated verses when things go bad in someone's life is to quote Romans 8.28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I wanted really bad to quote that verse for Charlie. (laughs) But at the same time, if you read that verse, what is good? How do we define what is good? We have such a small definition. God's definition of good extends far beyond ours. And it tells us what that good is in the following verse. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here's the good, to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. That is the good that God is working out in your life as a believer in Christ. It may not be healing. It may not be selling that house. It may not be getting that job or that girl. It may not be a lot of things. But you can rest and stand on the truth that the good that God is working in your life is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. And that is a good good thing. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.